we open our time this morning with prayer together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've set aside for our rest and that we might worship your name. And we pray that as we think about Psalm 12 now, you'll help us to think about how this can improve our own prayer life. And so we pray that you would help us and guide us by your spirit. Forgive us our sins, we ask, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do, we've been talking about just kind of considering some different things about prayer. And so I kind of like to use Psalm 12 to think about prayer today. Um, And some things we can learn about prayer from Psalm 12. I think particularly because Psalm 12 is um, a psalm about a war of of words in a sense. So so it kind of dovetails nicely with what we did this this morning. Um, But also it kind of talks about how you pray in sort of desperate times. Um, This is a very desperate prayer. You know, one of the things that we said when we first started talking about prayer is, you know, so often we jump right into our petitions. You know, we go and we should spend some time maybe with adoration. We should spend some time other places. This is one of those psalms that jumps right into the petition. Um, And so there are times for that, and so we want to think about that uh, together. So I'm going to read Psalm 12. And then we'll consider it together. It's a pretty short psalm, uh, eight verses, but this is God's word. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, May he bless it to us. So this is a prayer of desperate times. Um, I don't know that it gets more desperate than on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And we might have said, I didn't know that this was written yesterday. Um... But that can be how God's people feel. Um, certainly, the times that we are in, we can feel like that in a lot of different directions. And so this psalm is helpful to know how to pray when you do reach a kind of desperate feeling. And it tells us about how we are allowed to express ourselves to God. Um, as I said, this psalm is really unique in that it jumps right into the petition. Uh, right into what the psalmist wants Save, O Lord. Um, There's no introduction. There's no other meditation. There's no other thought expressed. The very first thing is a petition. Save, O Lord. Um, This is actually very rare in the Psalter. Um, There's maybe only one parallel to this, um, which is in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Um, Now there too, you see, that's a really desperate time, a desperate occasion. So it's actually fairly rare, but there are times where God's people are so hard-pressed 
uh, that the first thing out of their mouths is just the petition for the hour of need. And the psalm tells us that's okay. There are times when our prayers are very desperate. Right? There are times when the things on our, in our, going on in our lives are so desperate um, that we are on our knees maybe sometimes in the middle of the night before the Lord in this prayer that's just gripping us because there's a dire need that we have and we are at, at our wit's end of what to do about it. Um, and it's a wonderful thing to be reminded that we can express to God that, that immediate need, that our God is there to hear us and to hear our prayers when we lift them up, even when our sense of desperation isn't how things really are. Um, David's sense of desperation um, is real, it's true in this psalm. How does he express that desperation? The godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with fat, flattering lips and a double heart they speak. The godly is gone. Um, there are times when God's people feel like that. The godly is gone. There are no more faithful people left. Um, now we know that that's not true. Right? We, we should know that's not true from you know, what Elijah prayed. When he said, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. Everyone's out to get me. I'm the only faithful person left in the world. And I'm sick of living. I'd rather die than just go on being the only person. And he was told, well, there are actually 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not really alone. Um, but what this, lets us, this psalm lets us know is that we can tell God how we feel. Um, we can be honest with God about how we feel. Um, so this, this, there's this petition of desperation that he raises, and he's honest about how he feels. Um, you know, he doesn't feel the need somehow to go to God and say, Lord, thank you for this time. Everything's going just fine. Um, but in case you hadn't noticed, there's some trouble abroad in the kingdom. And I've got some concerns that I would like to lay before you if it's not too much trouble. Um, no, he's allowed to come and say everything that he thinks in his mind. The godly one is gone. That, that's the same root for God's steadfast love. That, that there, there's no one left who's a faithful covenant partner. There's no one left that you can rely on. Uh, the Lord-like man, the covenant man is no more. Uh, the faithful are gone. Um, I'm sort of the last of the godly men on earth. And the implications of that, right? The, the godly are necessary in the world. The world acts like the godly really don't serve much of a function, um, especially in our day, you know, what, what advantages do churches really bring to the world, to the community, you know, faith, what, what does that really bring? Previous generations at least understood there's a civic virtue that, that God's people tend to bring to the world that's to be encouraged. Even if we don't share their faith, they, they tend to add to society. Um, now we're seen even as burdens on society um, because we don't agree with all the things society agrees with. But the, the truth of Scripture, like we heard this morning from Proverbs, is the wise are needed in the world. The wise are needed to combat the folly of the world, to speak for the truth of God in the world uh, when the world is losing its mind. Um, and we live in an age where it seems like the world has lost its mind. 
Um, there are all sorts of things that are encouraged as true that are just not true. Um, you know, we, you know, I wonder just sometimes if people from 30 years ago were dropped into today, if they would even recognize the world. Um, you know, not, not to just like overly pick on this, but, you know, we recently had a Supreme Court justice nominee say you would need a biologist to determine who's a woman and who's not. I can't speak to that because I'm not a biologist. And yet she was chosen as a nominee to be a black female justice. And I don't think the president had to gather together a board of scientists to say, now you, we need a female, could you help me find one? Because I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking for. You know, there's a kind of folly to that. Or, you know, should we allow female swimmers to swim, or a male swimmer to swim with female swimmers and then be surprised when they're, he's blowing them out of the water? Um, it's like, yeah, he's stronger than they are. There's, there's a difference, and certainly you can talk about where those differences matter and where they don't, but in athletic competitions where your strength and your speed is sort of why you're there, um, the people go, well, you don't know whether we should think about this. We, you know, we, sometimes we want to just pull out our hair and say the whole world is going crazy. Is anyone else watching this? And the godly are needed to bring that salt and light to the world to be able to say at times, the world is going crazy. This stuff is not true. There is a necessity. And when that seems to be gone, you think, then the world is just going to go off its rails. If there's no more salt to keep the rot from spreading, if there's no more light to shine in the darkness, then what's left? Um, then there's nothing to keep it from going completely rotten. There's nothing to keep it from going completely dark. That's the desperation David is feeling. Now, there's a certain sense his theology was better than that because he knows that it's not just dependent on the godly and the faithful to keep order in the world. We are not the only people keeping the world in order. Um, the world is not actually going off the rails. But isn't it wonderful that we can be honest with God about how we're feeling in our prayers? I mean, he already knows, so there's no point in hiding it from him. You can't go in before his presence and say, everything's going fine, generally speaking, but I've got, we've got some issues. Um, feels like I'm all alone in the world. Um, you know, he knew his theology was better than that, but it's a wonderful thing that we can be honest with God. That we can be honest with God about how we feel things are going in the world, that he invites us to come and to express uh, how, we th- how he thinks. And one of the things David's particularly worried about is that truthlessness and falsehood is abroad everywhere. Um, the, it's really the lies that are carrying the day. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Um, we're alone against the world and there's nothing but truthlessness going abroad. Every manner of false speaking. Lies, flattery. You know, flattery is always looking to manipulate people through pandering. I'm sure as a king he got a lot of this. Um, oh, king, live forever. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, but I'm sure as a king, flattery he got sick of. People always looking to, to curry favor that way. A double, they speak with a double heart. Um, this sort of double talk. You pretend to be one thing, but you're really speaking in another way. And they're boasters. They make all these boasts. Um, 
Maybe one of the worst is the boast of verse 4. With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who will be master over us? We can spin this. Um, And that's something of David's kind of wrestling with. What do you do when the spin doctors seem to have won? What do you do when fake news seems to actually be carrying the day? Uh, When people are speaking falsehood and people are believing it, and they're confident in their lies. This kind of sounds almost like, you know, the Nazi propaganda minister. So, you know, you tell a big enough lie, people just say, I can't believe that that, that's such a huge lie. I can't believe that that can't be true. You know? um, what, what do we do when falsehood seems to be everywhere? And they're, they're so impressed with their ability to talk it out. Um, this is a real this is a real problem, and what what David is really doing is he's he's worrying about all these polluting words that are in the world. Um, what do we do with all these polluting words that are in the world um, that seem to be teaching everything but the truth? Um, because there's always been a kind of power in those words, right? You can say sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, we all know that's not true, you know. Parents try to say that to children when they, when they get their feelings hurt. But we all know that's not true. What people say can really hurt, and what people say can be really damaging. And that's what this psalm is saying. Their, their confidence is in their ability with their mouths. And mouths can do great damage. We saw that in the sermon this morning, um, in, the, in the passage this morning. Um, but think of the serpent's words in the Garden of Eden and damage that was done through just a conversation. Just maybe a suggestion that God's not being honest with you. An outright denial of his word. Uh, when Daniel has a vision of the great, you know, sort of persecutor of God's people, it's one of those strange prophecies in Daniel 7, but what does he see? A horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions And then in 725, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. Right Here's someone who boasts with his mouth and believes his mouth has such power that he can even change the times and the law by what he says. Um, Peter in 2 Peter 2 speaks about false prophets who speak false words and speak loud boasts of folly. Um, and it's hardly surprising that when the beast of the revelation appears, his ally is the false prophet who performs deceiving signs. There's a lot that can be done with words. There's a lot of wickedness that can be done with words. Um, and we can feel like we live in David's world, that we're surrounded by false speakers. Um, we're surrounded by falsehood. And we can be honest about that. Um, about how we feel in the world. It feels like the godly are gone, and it feels like the people that are lying are carrying the day. Um, And the question can be, what do the righteous do when they are confronted with every manner of false speaking? Um, And that really is a live question for us, right? Um, There is every manner of lie being told today. Um, Again, things that maybe 10, 15 years ago not that long ago, would have been thought of as crazy things to say. Um, but you can see how quickly things can change. Um, and and what, what has changed a lot of that? It's conversations. 
It's arguments. It's the way of talking about something, normalizing something. I, you know, I saw a TV show the other day that I couldn't follow what was happening in the plot because they were using pronouns in different ways. You know, everyone has their own pronouns they use, and there was a person using the pronoun they, and so I, was, I couldn't follow the plot of the show because, well, they're doing this and they're doing I'm like, I must have missed a group of people. Who, who are the they that are doing this? And then I realized, oh, no, it's just that person is the they. And everyone's saying they and them, but they mean her or him. Um, you know, I can't even follow it. I'm, and I'm not that old, right? Um, I, I got some gray hair. I'm getting there. But I'm not that old that I'm so out of touch with how language is used. But I found myself unable to follow for a minute because I couldn't track how the culture was talking. Um, so words can do a lot. And so when we're surrounded by every manner of false speaking, um, flattery, double talk, all these kinds of things, especially when it thinks, when we feel like it's winning, what are the righteous to do? Um, well, David's answer is not tweet about it. Um, his answer is not get together and complain about it. Um, what David realizes is that Really, all that, all that can be done about this is divine intervention, right? And that's, that's where he comes to say, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Um, you know, we, we can be really good at being honest about how we feel the world is going and complain about how we feel, like just basically what I've been doing for the last 15 minutes. Just complaining about how the world is going, you know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Who can even, you know, witness what's going on in the world today? Um, and we can just sort of grouse about it. And then we can grouse about it to someone who agrees with us. And then we can go away feeling good because we groused, you know. But what, what David is recognizing is grousing about it is not actually doing anything positive. Um, what needs to be done with all these polluted words that are just polluting the world? Who can do something about this? Um, David is the king, he feels. I don't know who can do something about this. Should I call somebody? It's like, no, I'm the guy they call. So who can do something about this? Um, God can do something about this. And that's what I think God's people need to do. We can be honest about how we feel the world is going, um, but David turns it into prayer. He doesn't just grouse about it. He turns it into prayer. Um, and he prays to God about it. He prays to God and recognizes that in the presence of the Lord is really the answer to the questions. It's in the presence of the Lord that these things begin to be sorted out. Because once you go before the Lord, you're reminded where the power is. The power is not actually in the world as powerful as it seems, right? Even if, the, even if David is right and the godly one is gone and the faithful ones are no more and there's no one else on whom he can rely, the Lord is still in charge of all things. The Lord is still God in heaven and on earth. Um, maybe you've heard stories of when Martin Luther would get really down about things in the church and in the Reformation. And sometimes his wife would come out wearing black. And 
he would say, why are, you, why are you wearing black? Who died? And she would say, well, God must be dead because you're carrying on like the whole world is over. And, you know, he would say, okay, I got it. I got to change up the attitude. Got it. Thank you. Um, but, you know, that's a powerful thing. Like, you act, who's, you, is God not God anymore? That's, God's people can almost talk like that at times, as if God is not God. And that's what prayer helps us do. It comes before God and reminds us who God is. Yeah, there are all these polluting words going forth in the world, but there is a God who is concerned with pure words. Um, there is a God who's concerned with truth. There is another voice speaking in the world. When all the wicked seem to be carrying the day with all their false speaking, when the spin doctors seem to be winning, there's a time where God will step forth and sort of clear his throat and say, now let me tell you what I think. And that's what David gives us in Psalm 12. God speaking and saying, now let me say something to this world. And what does God say to those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Then the Lord speaks. What does he say in verse 5? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Um, Where is the salvation to be hoped for? Right, that desperate save, O Lord. Um, Well, that's what the Lord answers. I will place him in the safety for which he longs, for which he's panting. Um, it's, the same, it's the same sort of root word. There's a connection between the plea to save and the promise of safety. Um, there's a connection there in the Lord. The Lord will provide the safety. All that is needed for all of the wickedness in the world, all the false speaking to be proven false is for the Lord to stand up. And for the Lord to say, it's over. He speaks about the truth. Whatever the false are saying, whatever the lies are being spread, I see what's happening. That it's all a means of plundering the poor. It's all a means of making the needy groan. And I will save. And I will put them in the safety for which they long. And the encouragement we can have from this psalm is that God's words are not worth comparing with the words of the world. Their mouths, their tongues in which they they think their lies and their flattery and that kind of speech is so powerful. And David reflects on, you know, but God's words are pure words. He never lies. He never says anything that's empty or insincere. He always means what he says. He never flatters. He always tells it to us straight. He never speaks out of a double heart. You never have to wonder what is God's real motive in speaking to us. His motives are clear. He's always motivated by a single heart. 
the love for his people. That's always what's motivating him in what he does. And he never boasts. God never pretends to be something he's not. Why do the wicked need to boast? Because they have to project a kind of power that they don't really have. It's like the beast in Revelation who bears a mark that looks like it was a fatal wound. What is he pretending? He's pretending, you know, I died too and I'm alive. I I took a fatal wound and I'm living. I'm like the lamb that was slain. I I also have taken a fatal wound and I'm still living. I'm just as good. Um... As Luther, I'm giving Luther a lot of credit today. As Luther always said, you know, the devil is always God's ape. He's always aping what God does. He's always pretending to be what God is. That's why the wicked are always boasting. That's why God never has to boast. How could God boast? He'd have to boast about being bigger than he is. He'd have to boast about being stronger than he is. He'd have to boast about being wiser than he is. We could keep going, right? Maybe you're afraid I will. But what is the point? God can't boast. He's better than anything you could imagine. He doesn't need to boast. His words are pure words. When he speaks, what he says is reality. Um, and, And that's the good news of the gospel, that that pure word became flesh and dwelt among us for a while. And we saw what it means to have a God who speaks the truth, and who doesn't flatter, and who doesn't boast, who is no respecter of persons, but who says what is true, and who saves. This is the importance of prayer. It calls us to come before the throne of grace and articulate what we are worried about. David articulates his worry and then he allows who he knows God to be to speak. Now, there's a sense in which the Spirit is speaking here for God and letting us know who God is and what God does. But it's when we come into the presence of a loving, faithful Father that we see that we have a God who will love and keep us. That we're reminded that no matter how bad the world seems to be and how alone we seem to be, With God, that's enough. Um, That praying reminds us that the Lord is near. And that's enough. Right? That's, That's the real good news of the gospel. God is near and that's enough. When Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And we say, thank you very much for no help at all. How do I do that? Well, he says you, you help to not be anxious about anything by taking everything that you're anxious about and turning it into prayer. Taking the things you can't do anything about and turning it over to the, to the God for whom impossible is easy. Um, but one of the things Paul starts off by saying before he says don't be anxious about anything in Philippians 4 but by prayer and petition, bring, make your request known to God so the peace of Christ would guard your heart. The first thing he says is, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Why would you be anxious about anything? 
That's what actually makes the anxiety go away, to know that the Lord is near. That's what prayer helps us to do. It reminds us that the God of heaven is within earshot. The God of heaven is close. We went through the book of the Revelation. It's wonderful that when John hears the voice speaking, he turns around and heaven is over his shoulder. I turned around and saw the voice speaking. I turned around and saw the lampstands. I turned around and saw the Lord. The Lord is near. That's the hope of his people. And that's what calls us then when we're in his presence to remember who he is and what he's promised. What his pure words have promised to his people. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. It doesn't make everything go away, right? Because all of us would say, well, that's a great, nice verse to end the psalm on. The psalm doesn't end on that verse. It ends with the kind of verse we don't like psalms ending with because it wouldn't look good on a sign on my kitchen wall. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Amen. Right? You, you get low marks in seminary if this is your finishing line of your sermon. Um, but what, what is the psalmist reminding us? Both can be true. Even as on every side the wicked are prowling. Even as vileness is being exalted among the children of man. Even so, God will keep us from this generation forever. God will save us. Um, in, in Psalm 23 language, it might be the case that there is always the enemies and always the table that's prepared for us in the presence of the enemies. That's life in this world. One pastor said, always the enemies, always the table. Always the enemies, always the shepherd. Um, that is the reality of life. But you see, it's in prayer that we draw near to the positive reality. It's in prayer that we're reminded who truly is in charge of the world. Um, who truly will keep this generation. And so that's one of the advantages of prayer as well. You can come to God with exactly what you need. You can be honest with him. And you can also find an answer to the problem, even if the problem is still there at the end of the day. It doesn't mean everything will change now, but it does change the perspective you have on the here and now. To be reminded who God is, who he's promised to be, and who he will always be for his people. That's the kind of thing we can learn from the, from the prayers of the Bible. Um, prayer changes everything, um, even when the world seems to go on unchanged. Um, this is the help of the godly. So uh, that's what I wanted to say about Psalm 12 and, and to think about that aspect of prayer. Um, anybody have any questions or thoughts on that? Yeah, Paul. And when you got home, you found there was more money in your checking account, right? Um, <laughs> no, right? So the circumstance didn't change, but remembering God's promise changed your circumstance, right? So we can see how that works. It might not be anything about my finances changing, but I remember the promise, and the promise changes my perspective on the reality, right? That's exactly what's going on here. To remember we have a Father in Heaven who loves us, and if He takes care of the birds who are here today and gone tomorrow, how will He not much more care for you, right? Yeah, so that's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to apply 
God's promises to him. That's why we said, you know, last time, one of the things we do in prayer is pray his, prayers back, pray his promises back to him. Um, and that's where David takes a lot of comfort that the Lord is the covenant Lord. And that brings in all the promises of the covenant that he's made as well. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it incorrect to start your prayer with dear Jesus? I don't. I don't know. Do you want them to like you? <laughs> no, I don't want to be pragmatist. Um, you know, there's a sense in which we can pray to God and Jesus is God. So we can pray to Jesus. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, I, you know, I think when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus told them to instruct his father to ask in his father, and to ask in his name. Um, and so, you know, I think we have maybe some biblical warrant for saying, you know, we ought to pray to the Father in the name of the Son. That's how the apostles tend to pronounce blessings in the Father, in the name of the Son. Um, but, I, but we are invited to pray to God, and, and Jesus is God. So we don't want to also make the mistake of saying, well, you know, or Jesus won't hear me, or... Um, but I think what we're taught to think of is the Father is the one who's providing all things. And Jesus' encouragement to us, I think, so instead of making it, you know, hey, actually, you should be doing that, you know, in the way that no one likes to be corrected, um, one of the things Jesus would always bring to people's attention is the Father is greater than all. If the Father is greater than all and you have access to the Father, why don't you go to the Father? You know, even when Jesus says, I'll, you know, in John 10, I will keep you so that no one will snatch you out of my hand. But the Father, who is greater than all, he'll keep you. No one can snatch you out of his hand. Um, he even, you know, seems to argue to the greater to his Father. And so it almost seems like his advice to us is, the Father is greater than all. Go to your Father. He, he's, the, he's the great, he's the great almighty God. Um, so it's not wrong to pray to Jesus. It's not wrong to, to pray to him. But I think the lesson he's left us is pray to the Father because he's, he's the origin and source of all things. He's greater than all. And you have access to him through me. Um, so I'm the mediator between God and man. But you go, you go to the Father. Um, so I think maybe that would be a help, more helpful way of correcting people than just to say, that's not right. Um, and certainly if it's a child praying to Jesus, I don't think I would want to intervene for want of being the guy who Jesus says, I said, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. That would be my thoughts on that. Anything else? Yes. Because we're, we're indicating that we're praying to the Father through the Son. In the name of Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, anything you ask of the Father in my name, he will grant to you. So that's what we're trying to communicate when we say that. That we're praying to the Father in Jesus' name. I would say we need to be careful when we pray who we're addressing. I think if we start off addressing the Father and then say, thank you for dying for our sins on the cross, we're confusing ourselves over who we're talking to at that moment. Um, and so 
you know, I think it is worth considering who we're praying to and thinking about that actively as we're doing it. Um, but I think we do pray to all three persons of the Trinity. And that's right and proper. Yes. That's an example. Yeah. Talk to Bob afterward. He has all the answers. Um, <laughs> he said, Stephen prayed directly to Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. Yeah. So it's not wrong to pray to the Lord. I'm, you know, just when the, when the Lord is specifically asked, how do we pray? How should we pray? That's the instruction that he gives. Um, but no, I, because we can pray to God, I don't think it's wrong to pray to any person of the Trinity. But just keep in mind who you're, try to keep in mind who you're praying to so you don't make. The Lord, the Lord Jesus will take care as our mediator of the mistakes we make in our prayers. But you can hear people who pray to the Father and then thank him for dying on the cross and, you know, that's not who died on, that's not the person that died on the cross. So just be, you know, I think that we should exercise some care in our prayers, but, um, all right. Yes, sir. You can go right to the S. Yes, that's right. Yeah, right. Right, I mean, yeah, there, that's what, that's what David is seeing here. There is a time that I just, I'm such in a desperate strait, I, I need the help right now. And that that's fine. Yeah. I mean, general rules are general rules, right? So um, there, are, there are times when you need to, to go right to the Lord. Right. All right. Any other, any other questions? Criticism from the seminarians or the other pastors here? Help? Okay. No help, no criticism. All right, thank you for nothing. Um, all right, no, I'm kidding. Let's, uh, let's, let's go to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we do have access to you through your son. We thank you that we can lift up prayers to each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that we have access to all of you through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit he's given to us. So we pray you would help us in our prayers that we would, as we look at the world around us and are scared about how things seem to be going and anxious about what this means for our generation and for the generations of our children and grandchildren that follow, Lord, that we would not be anxious only, that we would, we would remember that you are near to your people, that we have access to you, that we would pray to you and remember the power that is in you uh, to bring to nothing all of the deeds of the wicked that your truth pierces all of their falsehood. In the end, you will arise and your voice will be heard um, and Christ will make all things new in you and give everything over to you and how thankful we are for that reality. So we pray that the Spirit would still help us in our weakness, that he would instruct our hearts on how to pray, uh, that we might do it aright. And thank you that we have a mediator in Christ who uh, cleans up our prayers when they're not in the best of order and presents them to you as our perfect mediator. So we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being our God and that we can be your people. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for your time.